I'd like to start with a question. And the question is simply this, why are you here this morning? There may be all sorts of answers to that question. Some of you may say, well, I'm here because it's Sunday and I do this every Sunday. I get up, I have breakfast and I come to church. It's a habit and it's not a bad habit to have at that. Some of you might say, well, I'm here because my mum and dad or those that look after me have made me come. Maybe I'd rather be doing other things, but they've made me come. And you are very blessed, if that's the case, to have a mum and dad or people that look after you who are concerned for your spiritual welfare and to have brought you here. Perhaps some people have come, maybe not this morning, because I look around the room and I know everybody here, but perhaps sometimes someone is here and they'll say, well, I've come because a friend has brought me along because they want me to hear the gospel. Or perhaps some will say, I've come because I hear there's a different preacher this morning and I want to see what he's like if I can judge him. Or maybe there's all sorts of other reasons why you may have come. Now, some of those reasons are good reasons for coming. But none of those reasons are the real reason we should be here. The real reason we should be here this morning is because it's the Lord's Day and we want to praise the Lord on the Lord's day. And I'm going to take that theme then this morning of praising the Lord on the Lord's day. I'm not going to get involved in a debate about whether it's Saturday or Sunday. We'll park that. We're going to focus on the fact that God has given us one day in seven. It's the day we use here, and we're going to focus on the question of praising the Lord on the Lord's day. But if we start thinking about that idea of praising the Lord on the Lord's day, all sorts of questions must, if we're thinking people, and Christians are to be thinking people, all sorts of questions must come into our minds. We must, for example, ask, why should we praise God? How should we praise God? Who should praise God? Where should we praise God? And there are some of the questions which we're going to answer this morning by looking at Psalm 135. And it would be really helpful if you had Psalm 135 open in front of you so you can refer to it to make sure I'm not making any of this up. I'm not going to say everything there is to say this morning. I ought to say that too about praising God. Because you don't have to just praise God on Sundays. You can praise God all day, every day, whatever you're doing. But this morning we're focusing particularly on praising the Lord on his day. So let's start with that basic question, because if we don't know the answer to this, we won't understand why we should. Why should we praise God? And there are lots of reasons in Psalm 135 which outline why. The first one is because we're told to in verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. It repeats it several times in verse 1. The theme comes up again in verse 3. Praise the Lord. And then from verses 19 to 21, the theme comes up again. It uses the term bless the Lord, but that's exactly the same thing. So we are just told at the beginning of this psalm and at the end of this psalm that we are to praise the Lord. We don't know who the psalmist is. We could guess maybe it's David. It sounds very Davidic, but we don't know for certain. And you might say, well, that's only the view of a man then. This man, whoever it is, David, Solomon, whoever, this man is telling us to praise the Lord. But so what? He's only a man. 
But of course we know that there is much more to it than that because this is Holy Scripture and all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for us. And therefore, if it says, praise ye the Lord in verse 1, it is not just David or whoever that's saying that, it's Almighty God who is saying it. And there is no bigger or better reason for praising God than because God asks us to. Indeed, God commands us to. Why am I here this morning? I'm here to praise God. And why am I here to praise God? Because God tells me that is what I should be doing. And then the psalm gives us some reasons which underline why that's the thing we should be doing. So we're going to just pick out, and only some, pick out some of the verses in the psalm which give us reasons why God should be praised. We can praise him not just because he tells us we should do it, but we can also praise him for his name. Look at verse 1. Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the name of the Lord. We know that sometimes names speak about characteristics, don't we? My name means Philip, which means a lover of horses, which I'm not. Other people's names, Peter means rock, um, Sarah means princess, and so on. And sometimes those names actually do reflect a characteristic of the person. The name of God absolutely reflects the character of God. The name that is used here is Jehovah, or if we prefer, we could use the name Yahweh. Jehovah is simply a combination of Yahweh and Adonai, the two names put together. And the psalmist here is using that name because, as I'm sure you all know, the Jews felt that the name Yahweh was too precious for them to use, so they used Jehovah. But the name of God ultimately is Yahweh. And it's found, first of all, in Exodus chapter 3 in verse 14, as you all know. I know I'm teaching, teaching grandma to suck eggs this morning, but we need sometimes to be reminded of basic things. In Exodus 3 verse 14, when Moses asks God, what is your name? God says, I am that I am. And that is the name of God. We praise God because he is that he is. It summarises everything there is to say about his character. Everything is encompassed in that one name, Yahweh. His power, his majesty, his holiness, his wrath, his mercy, his love, his kindness, his patience. It's all encompassed in that one name. And therefore we praise the Lord for his name. And if you want a good exercise, then what you can do is when you go home look at exactly some of the characteristics of God which can be linked to that name. Look at the times it's used and see what it says about God and you'll get a wonderful picture of the Lord. Often as Christians we just take all this for granted, don't we? It's Sunday, we're here, it's the normal thing to do. Nothing better to do on a Sunday morning, we come to church. We sing hymns, we say amen to prayers, we listen to sermons. But do we actually stop to think who it is that we're praising. The name of the Lord is at the centre of all of this. And therefore, to meditate on the name of the Lord is a very profitable exercise. Meditation, by the way, is not what the world means by meditation, just in case anyone gets the wrong idea. The world means empty your mind. Christianity meditates on the word of God 
and the themes of the word of God. It doesn't empty its mind, it fills its mind. And it fills its mind with the name of the Lord. So praise God, bless the Lord, because he tells us to, but because of his name. Another reason we could choose, and as I say, I'm only picking here from the psalm, another reason we could choose to praise the Lord is because he's good. Verse 3, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Now, when we say the Lord is good, I'm not just saying he's a nice person. It means far, far more than that. Sometimes we talk about people that we meet and say, oh, they're a good chap, or they're a good lady. Well, that's not what this means. This means good in the sense of absolute moral perfection. In the character of God, there is no imperfection. There is nothing, even the smallest speck of anything impure. God is holy, if you want to use that word. He is just, he is set apart, he is distinct. And that makes him very different from you and I, because the one thing that cannot be said of us is that we're like that. We're sinners. And although Christ brings us his righteousness and we're clothed with his righteousness, we are still sinners. And it can never be said of us that we are good in the sense that it can be said of God. The purity of God, he dwells in a light which is unapproachable. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, how the heavenly beings had to shield their eyes before the pure, bright light of Almighty God? That's the sort of theme we're getting here. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. And all the Lord does is good. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God only does what is good. And we can praise him for that. And we can meditate on that theme too. He's been good to us this morning by bringing us here. He's been good to us this morning by giving us the opportunity to have another opportunity to think about praising him. God is great and glorious and kind in every possible way. Do you think about that ever? Do you meditate on that ever? Do you dwell on the goodness of God? The depth of what that means? Or do we just say, oh yeah, God's good, good on, let's move on to the next point? We need to meditate, we need to think, we need to dwell on these things. And the next thing, and as I say, I'm picking points here, we can say God is good, God is to be praised because of his name, God has commanded us to praise him, but another reason is because he has chosen a people. Verse 4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. And that's something to praise God for, isn't it? That he's chosen a people. Here the psalmist is talking about the choosing of the nation of Israel, that physical nation. But of course there's another chosen people as well. Some of that physical nation were part of it. That chosen nation, that spiritual Israel is what I'm talking about. The church of Jesus Christ. Yes, he's chosen Israel as a physical nation. But beyond that, some Israelites, some Jews and some Gentiles, he has chosen before the foundation of time to make up the kingdom of God, to make up the church of Jesus Christ, spiritual Israel. Did he have to do that? No, he didn't. If God had consigned me to hell and you too, he would have been perfectly just perfectly good but he's chosen in his mercy in his goodness to save some 
to redeem them. And he chose to do so by sending the Lord Jesus Christ to accomplish that redemption through his perfect life and through his dying on the cross as a substitute for our sin and through his resurrection to show he'd triumphed and accomplished everything he'd been sent to do. We, as believers this morning, are part of that innumerable company of people chosen by Almighty God before the foundation of time as an act of sovereign kindness and love. And that is a reason to praise God, isn't it? If there was no other reason given here, isn't that a reason to praise God? If you look within yourself, if you undertake a spiritual examination of your soul, what do you see if you're honest? Sin, filth. But what has God done for us? He's redeemed us from that because he chose us before the foundation of time. Here is a matter to dwell on. Here is a matter to meditate on. You could preach many sermons on on the choosing of God, of the people of Israel, and then the choosing of God, of the church of Jesus Christ. But the point is, God chose when he didn't need to do so. It was an act of his sovereign love. Reminds us, of course, of John 3.16, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, and so on. And I think we could say that we can praise God because he's sovereign. That's another cause of praising God. Look at verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleaseth, that he did in heaven, in earth, in the sea, and all the deep places. And then the rest of the verses from 6 down to 12 give us examples of his sovereign work. Who causes vapours to arise from the ends of the earth? Who causes the fog and the mist? and the drizzle. God does. Who brings lightning and rain? God does. Who brings the wind out of his treasuries? And we certainly in the Isle of Man are well aware of that sometimes, aren't we? He does. Who raises up nations and brings nations down? He does. Who smote the Egyptians? He did. Who got rid of Zion, king of the Amorites, and old king of Bashan, and gave the Canaanite kingdom to Israel? He did. Our God is sovereign in all he does. And that, in my mind, is an amazing encouragement as you start a new year. We're only on the second Sunday of a new year, aren't we? It's only just beginning. I don't know if you've got yet used to writing 2022. I wrote out a melt bill the other day, and being old and senile, as you all know how I am, I, of course, wrote out January, the whatever it was, 2021. But we're not. We're in a new year. And in that new year, God is sovereign. You say, well, there's this Omicron circulating and we don't know what's going to happen. No, that's true, we don't. But God is sovereign. There's problems in Ukraine. Are the Russians going to invade Ukraine? Is there going to be a war? I don't know, but God is sovereign. What about my health? I'm I'm waiting, I'm not, by the way, but I'm illustrating. I'm awaiting test results. Are they going to be bad? I don't know, but God is sovereign. That theme of the sovereignty of God should thrill us and excite us and give us absolute hope and confidence. But the trouble is we don't meditate on it. We don't think about it. We don't let it permeate through us any more than we do anything else I've been saying this morning. Well, perhaps you do, but then I don't, so I'm perhaps speaking personally. I don't think of these things as much as I should. I get worried and concerned about things when perhaps I should be more trusting in the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. 
there is a brilliant reason to praise him for that. No one else is. The devil may think he is, but he isn't. Even the devil's schemes are used by God for good. You read the book of Job and you'll see that very plainly illustrated. And some people say, well, we'd rather worship other things than God. And this passage talks about that as well. I haven't got time to go into it, but it talks about verses 15 onwards of idols made by men's hands of gold and silver. But these are no use either. They don't have mouths. They can't speak. They can't see. They can't hear. They can't breathe. And yet in the psalmist day, lots of people were worshipping those things. And today we're the same. It may not be literally things made out of stone and silver and gold we worship, but we do worship other things than God. People, even Christians do. Football, maybe. Other sports, maybe. Particular personalities, maybe. Film stars, pop stars, media personalities. Money, success, reputation. These are all the sorts of idols that we can worship. And yet none of these things come a million miles close to God because, as we're told earlier on in verse 5, I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. So our focus is on the sovereignty of God and on nothing other than that. There is no one else worthy of giving worship to than him. So we've said quite a lot this morning. I'm always telling Andy and trying to uh, help him in his training that his sermon should be balanced. In other words, if he's got three points, roughly you spend the same amount of time on each point. Well, I'm not doing that this morning. I'm breaking my own rule because the first one is the longest point. Why do we praise God? Well, here are some facts to dwell on and to meditate on as to why we do. But the question is, do we or will we? Or will this sermon simply go in one ear and out of the other so that in an hour's time you can't even remember what I spoke about? If I'm honest, that is often the case because we just don't meditate on the word of God. I find it difficult sometimes to remember what I preached on and I'm not exaggerating, let alone the congregation because I don't meditate on it as I should. I don't consider it as I might. So we need to meditate on the character of God. So that's why we should praise God. Now we're going to deal with a little bit more briefly, a couple of more questions. How do we praise God? Has this psalm any indication of how to praise God? Well, yes, it has. It shows us that praise can be expressed externally, but also it comes from an internal knowing of God. So first of all, praise can be expressed externally. And look at what it says in verse 3. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto the Lord, for it is pleasant. Singing praise to God is externally praising him, isn't it? We're using our voice to praise God. The Psalms are a hymn book, we know that. And the New Testament, Ephesians 5 and verse 19 tells us that in the New Testament church, we are to praise God in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, again, I'm not getting involved in what's the difference between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Different people have different views on that. That's not my purpose this morning. My purpose this morning is to say the psalmist is telling us that we should praise the Lord in song. 
It is a pleasant thing to do. And when we praise God in song, it means, first of all, that we've got to make sure that what we're singing is right. There is an awful lot of drivel written these days, which is absolutely no use at all as the calls of praise. So we've got to make sure that what, we pr- what we're singing is Bible-based and biblical and focuses our minds upon the Lord. And we've got to also remember, and I think perhaps this is more important for us here because we know about the fact that there's lots of trash that we wouldn't sing, but we've got to make sure that when we sing it, we're thinking about what we sing. We've sung three hymns this morning. They've all come back to this theme, praise my soul, the king of heaven, really, haven't they? But as we've sung those, are we dwelling on those words? Or do we just sing them because we've sang that hymn, you know, a thousand and one times. In fact, we could probably sing it without the hymn book because we know it so well. We are to focus on the words that we sing. And those words will very often, in most, in all good hymns, will, mo- will direct our thoughts to the greatness and glory and wonder of God and the glories of salvation and the blessings of the Holy Spirit indwelling us and so on. So let's sing, but let's make sure what we sing we're thinking about. And as we sing our last uh, hymn in a few minutes, let's think about the words we're singing. Let them meditate into your mind, sink into your mind, dwell upon them. But you might also say, I don't like singing. It's not my favourite occupation. I haven't got a good voice. No, I understand that and sympathise with you perfectly. Neither have I. But that's no excuse. The psalmist says it is a pleasant thing to sing praises to God. And therefore we do. We open our mouths and we sing. We try to sing in tune as best we can, but we make a joyful noise to the Lord because our hearts want to praise him. Sometimes I get very discouraged at Port Erin when I look at the congregation and we're singing a hymn and half of them, and I'm not exaggerating, half of them are not even opening their mouths. I find that very sad because even though they don't have good voices, it's something we're required and commanded to do and it's a pleasant thing to open our mouths to praise the Lord. Other ways of which externally we can praise God are hinted at in the psalm. We can use our eyes, of course, to look around us. And that causes us to praise the Lord. As we see, for example, the vapours ascending, as we see the sun rise, as we see the lightning strikes, as we see the wind blowing, all of those things with our eyes remind us these are the works of God and we can praise God for those things. Just look around you. We live in a most amazing, beautiful place, you know. I know it's not a perfect creation any longer, but use your eyes. Look at the hills, look at the sea, look at the blue sky. All of these things externally help us to praise our God. So praises are something we can do externally in what we say and how we uh, look with our eyes and so on. But ultimately, praise comes from within. And this psalm hints at that in verse 5. For I know... That's the key word. I know that the Lord is great. And that word know there means to know intimately, to know in detail. And how do you intimately know that God is great? Only when your soul has been brought to spiritual life and you are brought into a relationship with him. Because ultimately, you see, praise to God 
comes from within. It comes from the soul. It can express itself externally in singing and using your eyes and speaking and so on, but ultimately it comes because your heart has been changed. The non-believer doesn't want to praise God because his heart's not been changed. He may understand something of the character of God and even outwardly have sometimes some unbelievers some amazement at what they know of God. But the believer's heart has been changed. The believer knows the greatness of God. He knows because the Holy Spirit has regenerated his soul and brought him to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And it's out of that changed soul that we praise and worship God. So how do we praise God? Outwardly. But it comes from within, from a changed soul, from a renewed life, from being born again. And that means I have to ask the question, most of you in this room I know very well, I've known you, some of you, for 35 or more years now. Has your soul been changed? Has your heart been changed? If it hasn't, you cannot praise God because you're dead in your sins. You're separated from him. Only when your heart is renewed through faith in Christ can you praise the Lord. So that's how, briefly. Who? Who should praise the Lord? Psalmist gives us some clues there as well. It says, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. If you are a true believer, you are a servant of the Lord. Yes, you're an adopted son. Yes, Christ is your elder brother and your friend, but you are also a servant of the Lord. The New Testament makes that clear. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 16. He says this. 1 Peter 2, 16. As free, and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And a servant is one who is there to do his master's bidding. So who should praise him? True believers, because they are his servants. We are here to do his bidding. And his bidding this morning on this Lord's day is that we should be praising him. His bidding at other times is to do other things in his service. But this morning his bidding is that we should praise him. Also, we're told another way of describing a believer is later on in the psalm, it talks about those who fear the Lord. And that fear, verse 20, by the way, that fear isn't a terror of God. That fear is an awe, a reverence, a deep respect and appreciation of the glories of God. And a true believer is a servant of God who fears the Lord. And those are the people who can praise him. As I've said, unbelievers can't. They may appreciate something of his greatness, but they cannot really praise him because their hearts are hard. They're spiritually dead. So the last thing to look at briefly is where. We've looked at why in more detail, more briefly at how, more briefly at still at who, and now even more briefly at where. Where should we praise the Lord? Well, this is what the psalmist says. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. I don't know who wrote this psalm. If it was David, then it would be referring to the tabernacle because the temple hadn't been built. 
If it was Solomon or someone subsequent to Solomon, it could be the temple. And the courts of the house of our God perhaps implies the temple because we know in the temple there was the outer court and so on. But we can't be totally sure about that. But what the psalmist is saying is, look, we need to gather together to stand to praise the Lord in the Lord's house. And in that sense, we can say the same for us. We need to gather together on the Lord's day as a group of his people, morning and evening, by the way, to praise the Lord. This is the courts of our of the Lord, if you like. It's nothing special about this place. It's just a building, but it's the place which God has provided for us to gather together to express our collective praise for God. And that's what should dominate everything that happens here on the Lord's Day. It should all be focused upon the praising of God for his character, for his works, for the gospel of Christ and so on. Obviously, though, it doesn't just limit praising God to what you do when you're in this room on a Sunday morning and on a Sunday evening. You can praise God at the kitchen sink. You can praise God in school. You can praise God as you walk down the street. You can praise God in the office because the whole of your life should be lived to the glory of God, which is the praising of God. But it's not, as I said at the beginning, that aspect that I'm seeking to focus on so much. It's what we do when we gather together here as a group of God's people. So how do we, why do we praise God? How do we praise God? Who should praise God? Where should we praise God? Having said all of that, there's only one thing left to say. Are we truly a church that is gathered to praise God? Or are we just here out of habit? Or are we just here because mum and dad brought us? Or because we just wanted to see what this strange fellow from Port Erin might come up with today? The aim of us being here every Sunday, and Wednesday too for that matter, but every Sunday should be to praise God, to glorify him and thank him for his indescribable blessing in Jesus Christ. That is the praise above all praises. And that's why, as believers, at least in part, we should gather on the Lord's Day. So now we're going to sing. Let's sing thoughtfully to praise our God.